you know, if your impressions number is really high and your, you know, your added to cart number is much, much, much lower or in anywhere in that funnel, if there's a huge deviant, you know, deviation, I've always talked to our Shopify consulting clients about ways they can, you know, close those, shrink those numbers. In essence, you know, you don't want to, you know, lower the impressions, but what you want to do is raise the the close rate in essence. And on Shopify, we have a few tricks of the trade we can bring to that party. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Eva serves hundreds of private label seven figure sellers. To get a 15 day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Hey folks, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast. Today, I'm going to introduce another one of the conversations I have with my co-host Jason Miles of Winning on Shopify over at our podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. As Winning on Shopify implies, Jason is a Shopify expert, although has much broader grasp of e-commerce and uh, business generally than that implies. And I'm kind of the Amazon guy in our conversations. So we had a conversation recently about the Amazon ranking algorithm. And I was trying to explain it for Jason, who does sell on Amazon, but only as an author, not physical products. And so this is my take on it. I'm not saying that I'm an absolute technical expert when it comes to the algorithm. So it's not detailed, minute A9 analysis, but I think it gives you the basics. And if you're new to Amazon or, you know, just moving into that area from a different platform, you might find it a very helpful uh, conversation. So I hope you enjoy our conversation and find it enlightening. You mentioned a kind of a little cascading funnel there a moment ago on, you know, first there, you first you get the impression then you get the add to cart, then you get the actual sale to occur. Now, you know, Amazon has one click purchase. So all that can be first impression and then purchase can be instantaneous. Yeah. But sometimes people do go to their cart mm-hmm. to update their mailing address or credit card info or that kind of thing. So that's key, key to your thinking here is that funnel effect. And that's similar to Shopify, actually, mm-hmm. in many ways. Any commentary on that kind of uh, cascading set of steps? Yeah, there. I, I think you need to, because all this stuff can get very complex, you need to come back to extremely clear-minded sort of mental model of what's happening, mm-hmm. which is quite simple in terms of the customer journey through Amazon. Mm-hmm. The psychological drivers may be complex, but the, it's impressions. Do they see your um, product listing or not, right? And that is the keyword ranking. That's the SEO piece we're talking about. But because Amazon links it all together, one of the ranking signals for should they show your product listing under the keyword, say, you know, blue iPhone holder is uh, the click through rate. So if they show your product listing a uh, hundred times and a thousand times mm-hmm. and only one person clicks, that's a 0.1% click through rate. That's too low. That doesn't show very good relevance. Remember, relevance being a golden rule. The second thing is if people click onto your listing, otherwise known as a session, and only out of a hundred people who visit your page, uh, one person buys, that's a conversion rate of 1%. That shows also very bad relevancy. Now, relevancy is a, an interesting question because it's not just about relevancy on Google. It's relevancy plus a kind of quality of a, a you know, a, a post, a blog post or whatever it is, or a Google or an Amazon 
sorry, a YouTube video. But on Amazon, it's about value for money as well. And that's quite subtle blend. So it's really hard to know whether somebody clicked on your listing because it has a beautiful image or it's very relevant or it's the average the rating price. or the price. Mm -hmm. And it's actually yeah. a blend of all four. So the only way to tell which one's driving it is to play with those factors. And that's a, a conversion optimization question, but it leads straight back into SEO. So you really mm -hmm. can't separate the two in the Amazon space. So you have I, to think about those metrics. Click-through rates being, I would say, about 1% or above, and conversion rates, you know, how long is a piece of string? But you want it mm -hmm. to be in the 10 20% range, 30%, maybe not a few percent. For our Shopify consulting clients, one of the things we look at a lot is this in Shopify backend, this products that are viewed and then added to cart and then actually sold. And that little funnel in Shopify, we can look at. And if your numbers are very disparate, you know, like your, your, and I guess the equivalent here is on Amazon is what I want to ask you about. But, you know, if your impressions number is really high, and your, you know, your added to cart number is much, much, much lower or in anywhere in that funnel. If there's a huge deviant, you know, deviation, I've always talked to our Shopify consulting clients about ways they can, you know, close those, shrink those numbers. In essence, you know, you don't want to, you know, lower the impressions, but what you want to do is raise the, the close rate in essence. Now on Shopify, we have a few tricks of the trade we can bring to that party. You can do things like uh, retargeting with email marketing for abandoned checkout or text messaging for abandoned checkout and different things like that. On Amazon, can you do, are there things to be done there? How, how would you consult with somebody who's getting the good impressions, but their, their you know, sales rate maybe is lower? Is there any equivalent there on the Amazon side? It's a really interesting question. So here's what I would say. Amazon as a platform is a bit like you with a direct-to-consumer site. They mm -hmm. know this stuff and Amazon... Mm -hmm probably has an incredibly sophisticated way of retargeting abandoned checkout stuff like that now as an mm -hmm. amazon consumer myself a quite quite busy one i should know better where i can't remember whether amazon starts emailing me mm -hmm. say hey you've abandoned your cart i don't mm -hmm. think they particularly do actually but i imagine they would they would certainly take that into account obviously things like retargeting for abandoned checkouts for us as amazon sellers are not possible unfortunately it gets worse than that because the actual data to start with we are not privy to the mm -hmm. organic impressions data. This is one of the massive problems. I mean, Amazon knows exactly what's going on, but they do not share it with the third-party sellers. So we impressions, clicks, conversions are the golden trinity of these stats, marketing stats, internet marketing, digital marketing, right? Unfortunately, one of those we're driving blind on because we do not get organic impressions. So the best way you can deal with that is to run Amazon ads. In this instance, not as a way to drive sales as a solution to the problem you, you mentioned, mm -hmm. but for informational purposes. Because if you're advertising on the keyword, blue iphone holder for example and you get a thousand impressions but you get a 0.1 click through mm -hmm. percentage then you can clearly see from the advertising data that that is happening and you can extrapolate to some degree and with some major degree of uncertainty but still to a degree yeah that, that is happening on the organic side as well so that's the best you can do in terms of stats yeah. um in terms of solutions, unfortunately, it really comes down to the same things, which is optimizing for conversion, but for a particular keyword. So if you mm -hmm. are selling a blue iPhone holder, my the, the search intent behind this is my first question. What are they trying to achieve? Well, hold an iPhone, duh. Well, yes, okay, but in what context? Well, I've got an iPhone mm -hmm. holder right here on my desk. It's a bit too low because I use it as a kind of third screen. Okay, well, in that case, you need a quite a different physical solution. 
does your product fit that situation? If not, don't try and sell it to those people because it will backfire. You'll get rude reviews and Amazon will notice and, and punish you. But is it, for example, in a bedroom? Is it for work? Is it for pleasure? Those are some of the questions you've got to get into before you can really deep dive into the answer, which is to target um, a really clear answer to a clear search intent. Often people make mm -hmm. generically pretty images, but they don't actually communicate mm -hmm. anything. I think it's more important to clarify what is it you're trying to communicate and then make sure your images are beautiful, but make sure they're clear. And once you clarify that stuff, it tends to really drive conversion rates up. And that should help ranking for the keywords that are relevant to that kind of answer. That's the best I can say. So you've got to work yeah. around the houses with this stuff. It's, it's a really kind of fiddly, tricky stuff sometimes. So we've talked about relevance to the consumer and answering their question or, or query. What comes after that? Well, really, once you think about relevance to consumer, that's all very well, but you do not exist in a vacuum, as you said. You're 50 mm -hmm. other people claiming the same thing, like we can help you with your iPhone holding needs, for example. So then you've got to think about the competition and can you actually win a search engine result page kind of competition? And really speaking, that's a question of sort of a mixture of what overall market you're going for for example would i go into the iphone holder market i wouldn't because i think it's just saturated but even if you decide you are going to do that then you really need to think about a short list of reasonably short tail keywords that are relevant to your competition and really think about i'm going to go for like titanium iphone holders or something very specialist mm -hmm. because i could win it and abandon the sort of overall market so those kinds of questions really okay but let me just ask you this real quick is winning it just a function of getting more reviews than the next guy? <laughs> or is it more than that? Not really, no. So here's okay. my take on reviews and its relationship to SEO on Amazon. And I'm not an incredibly technical Amazon consultant. I mean, I don't run a PPC mm -hmm. agency. I know people who do, and I discuss things with them quite often. But my take on it is there's not a direct correlation. However, indirectly having a five-star average rating, and I think the average rating, mm -hmm. not number of reviews, by the way, is really, really important. Oh, okay. Because right. if you drop from a five-star average to 4.5-star, I've seen a drop in conversion rate as much as half. So it goes from, say, 40% to 20% or, or something like that, which wow. means, obviously, if your conversion rate drops, that sends a very powerful signal to Amazon that mm -hmm. you are not pleasing the people who have clicked onto your search result as, opposed, as a result of searching for, I know, um, yeah. you know, iPhone holder blue or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that it kind of indirectly, because review rates so powerful for conversion rate, the conversion rates are powerful for SEO. Mm -hmm. It does indirectly affect it, but not directly is my understanding. Okay. So then let's say the next thing is really winning the search engine results page mm. rank question. How, how do you do that then? If it's not just about reviews, if it's more nuanced than that, what, what goes into it now? Well, really, it's we've talked about relevance. So picking mm -hmm. a keyword fight that you can win. So if I want to go for iPhone charger or something, then that's going to be unwinnable because there will be Chinese companies out there who will sell them for a quarter of the price that I would sell them for probably mm -hmm. at a loss, but they don't care because the Communist Party is bankrolling them and so forth. So that's the first thing. And there is really a, a budgetary side to this because if you want to kick off your ranking and launch a product, it's a slightly different question from how to rank overall, but they're all linked because if you can't get ranked in the first place when you launch then it tends to become a self-fulfilling thing and you stay not ranked for the right keywords so in order to do that you're going to have to pay money into 
rather sad ways, really. One is by reducing the, the cost of the product because a lower price means it looks like better value. So you get better click-through rates and you mm-hmm. get better conversions, which gives you better organic, organic ranking. You also kick off, incidentally, getting reviews earlier, which will help with the conversion rate, which helps with ranking. And then the other side, that's the conversion side. And the other side is traffic. And when you start with, as we've discussed many times, you start with a cold start, as Amazon puts it. Yeah. So you need to pay money for advertising. And so you're going to need to budget for ads. And really, that's a that's part of your decision of which markets to enter into and which keywords mm-hmm. specifically to target, because mm-hmm. some would cost a, a fortune to rank for and some will be more affordable. Yeah. OK, so I've yeah, we, we've talked about this before, this Amazon cold start challenge. Right. Is it possible to resurrect a product from the dead on Amazon? Not to get too religious. Mm, good but, question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, but I think it's got a bad history behind it. It's just going to, it's a little bit like if you've, you know, a, a bad student at school or an employee that's got a question mark over their head in work. I mean, you're going to have to be a bit exceptional and you're going to have to be consistent. So mm-hmm. if, if you sort of show the odd spike of good behavior and convert customers and then they start buying it and giving you rude reviews after a while, then that's going to show up quite simply. That's going to show mm-hmm. up in the conversion rates and that will then show up in the in the rank, right? I'm not yeah. saying, by the way, that Amazon doesn't take any notice of, of reviews in their actual ranking algorithm sure. as well, but it kind of comes to the same thing. So I guess to answer your question, if you are consistent in changing things, then mm-hmm. you can probably resurrect dead products. It's not something i kind of specialize in but normally that the reason it doesn't come up naturally that often for me is because if a product has a problem and it shows up in the reviews unless you've completely redesigned it and some people do but most people mm-hmm. just abandon it therefore mm-hmm. they never bother to try and re-rank it and if it didn't get ranked in the first place because they couldn't afford it then that normally doesn't change and again unless they've got some investment but then why yeah. would investor want to put good money after what looks like bad money so mm-hmm. there's a natural few things that mitigate against it normally happening in real life. It is possible. It's almost like the snowball rolling downhill towards success seems Mm -hmm. easy, but trying to get it to roll uphill is a really, really tough battle. Okay, that's interesting. Let me ask you one other question before we move on from this reviews-related topic. I've heard at conferences, people who are private label people, who basically say any review that's like four stars or three stars, they'll just go to Amazon and ask the review to be removed and really just honestly, I think unethically have low rank reviews that are honest reviews removed. Hopefully you think that's scummy behavior like I do, but Amazon seems to tolerate it from what I've heard from these people. Amazon seems to let you do that as a seller. It seems so wrong. Somebody leaves a heartfelt three-star review on a product. I mean, as an author, I've got a lot of books on Amazon. Yeah. If it's a three-star review and they just didn't like my book and I I can't ask that that be removed. That seems so unethical, but I don't know (laughs) if you have an opinion. Like I obviously I've expressed my very strong opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I'd say is good for you. And I, I, you know, I guess (laughs) the majority of sellers I know, or at least the ones who are willing to talk to me about it are, frankly more willing to manipulate things in their favor and i guess if you've got you know fifty thousand dollars worth of product on its way from china and you're about to you know have the economics if it goes south because of some rude reviews which does happen you can see that people have a powerful incentive possibly and not losing their house or something ultimately to to get the other way now i'm not 
I'm not going to comment so much on the ethics of it, but the couple of points really sort of, if you like, take an amoral rather than immoral stance, amorally speaking, objectively speaking, that Amazon is unlikely to remove a review unless there's a really good reason anyway, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. not so much for ethical reasons, I suspect, or they may have ethical dilemmas at Amazon. They don't come across that way, but for practical reason that they want to retain the trust of consumers. There is a lot of bad publicity about Amazon and the reviews manipulation probably rightfully so but anyway that irrespectively there's a pr problem there for them and they need to be acting on it and seen to be acting on it so for that reason it's pretty hard to persuade amazon to remove a review anyway so it's kind of a moot point whether you choose on ethical grounds not to do it or whether you're trying to manipulate everything it comes to the same thing which is amazon will just say no thanks we're not going to do it i hope that's i hope that's true the presenter i remember hearing said they just keep putting out a customer service ticket until somebody does it and i thought you know what i'm that's is i'm sorry I, I'll, I'll express the moral mm. opinion that's just wrong this is so wrong so anyway let's move on but i'm just saying please in my view you should not do that as a seller uh, you know and if your product is marginal or you know average mm. then let the market speak For online sellers, nothing beats in-person learning and connecting. Join Ecom Events at one of their four events throughout the USA. Miami in January, San Diego in March, Minneapolis in July and New York City in October. The conference offers tips and tools to increase sales, food and drink and real connections to other sellers and experts. Head over to e-comevents.com and register today with promo code AMAZINGFBA to save $50 off your ticket cost. Absolutely. Here's what I would say. I remember talking, it's funny, the ethical side. (laughs) Don't end up discussing it very much, but probably because I don't speak to many people who have strong faith Mm -hmm. like you do, but I guess. But here's what I would say. I remember back in sort of Sunday school years ago, this lady who was not kind of a conventionally Christian lady, shall we say, but she thought about this stuff a lot. She was a very, very bright lady. She was mm. a poet. So who think a lot, but aren't necessarily conventionally kind of ethical, I suppose. But anyway, she said to me something which has struck me as very true over the last while, which is if something's morally wrong, it's probably going to show up in results at the end anyway. It just may take a bit of time. So to your point, I don't think there's a real ethical dilemma in the sense that if your product's bad, basically it's going to end up failing anyway. And short-term manipulation is kind of irrelevant. Maybe it's unethical behavior. Maybe you shouldn't do it. Maybe you think you're going to lose your house, so you should. Either which way, the outcome's going to be the same. So to your point, I think it kind of averages out to the same thing, which is kind of unethical behavior tends to mean that people don't trust you. Lack of trust means Mm -hmm. people don't do business with you. Lack of business means that your business dies. So it comes to the same thing. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, this lady happened no, to be a Quaker. And one of the things that the Quakers were very successful business people in 19th century Britain, they made things like mm-hmm. cabbage and sweps and quite a lot of, you know, Quaker oats. And one of the reasons for that is because people trusted them. They said they were going to yeah. do something and they did it. And so to your point, I guess in the end, you could see ethics as a, you know, as a business advantage, if you like. <laughs> anyway, Absolutely right. slight, slight side show, but we have got ethics as one of our sort of pillars of content. So I take your point. Okay, great. Okay, well, let's keep, <laughs> this is good. So let's keep going. So let me ask you this question. Do you think it's important to focus on one key phrase? Or do you think a cluster of key phrases are kind of what you want to go after? I mean, you know, like we've talked for our listeners about us being maniacally focused on the e-commerce with only one deviation either it has the dash or it does not have the dash in our spotify and and that kind of focus for the podcast but on amazon how do you consult your private label product sellers are they should they go after one singular phrase 
or should they kind of, you know, have an umbrella approach to it? Well, here's what I would say that the more sophisticated the algorithm gets, it's there for a purpose, which is, again, relevance for the consumer, right? Quality uh, in in Amazon world, that means quality products at the right price, as opposed to merely just relevance of the document to the query, like in the Google world, right? But they're not getting sophisticated for random reasons. They're trying to get better at that job whilst balancing out these tensions of Amazon keeping its market share and making revenue from from advertisers, right? So the better the algorithms get, the more common sense or human-like they are, which is to say the artificial intelligence is getting more like human intelligence. So people don't search just for one keyword. They have a variety of keywords that are associated with each other. I guess they're not even necessarily short or long-tail variations of yeah. the same keywords. In Google, mm-hmm. they call it the LSIs and latent semantic index. And maybe Amazon hasn't quite gone as far as that. But you have to trust the algorithm and common sense. And I would answer very clearly a cluster of keywords rather than one keyword, which means the good news is it's common sense and it's how consumers behave. The bad news Mm -hmm. is as soon as we put our marketer hats on, we totally forget what it feels like to be consumer. It's an empathy problem, really. Mm -hmm. You've got to think about what, what would a consumer well, you've got two ways. You've either got to imagine what a consumer would put in to search for your products and then really get a sense of the competitive landscape for each individual keyword. But the other way of doing it is if you're not very imaginative, then don't bother thinking or imagining. Go and talk to consumers. <laughs> Go and talk to people and ask them to search. Don't ask them what they would search for. Just ask them to search and to video it. Anything like that. And get your mum mm-hmm. to do it if your mum is an obsessive mm-hmm. shopper for iPhone holders, whatever it is. So get human input and then filter it through the algorithm. Don't start yeah. with the algorithm because that's the wrong starting point. That's not Amazon's starting point. That's not Google's starting point. They start yeah. with the human intent and yeah. they engineer an algorithm to end up with with two outcomes, which is number one, a sale for Google or Amazon, and number two, um, getting relevant results for the consumers, which means they keep coming back. So you mentioned the phrase long tail keyword. Obviously, I, I'm familiar with that phrase for those of uh, our listeners who I think most people would be, but Chris Anderson's classic book that everyone should read is, is fantastic for that. Yeah. Long tail. What's it? What's the, the name long? Of the book? I think it's just called the, the long, long tail. tail. Yeah. Very, very um, good. 2007 he, original, wasn't it? And it's really dated incredibly well for anything to do with digital marketing. Absolutely agree. So do you focus on long tail keywords with your clients mostly, or do you go for the big, hard, you know, category killer for, you know, key phrase or keyword? What's the best strategy? Interesting question. I would say it's actually not really an either or question because if it used to be that you mm. could just focus on longer tail keywords. So instead of iPhone holder, iPhone holder titanium blue or something really obscure like that, mm-hmm. I would say most yeah. competent competitors will already be doing this anyway. So in an established market, you probably won't find that's enough. So really, I think you need to just think of it in two phases. Ultimately, you need to decide what sort of shorter or medium tail keyword. I don't know, iPhone holder, iPhone X or something that you're going to go for. And that is really your aim in the medium term or even longer term. But then in order to get there, you may want to tie long tail keywords that contain your short tail keywords. For example, iPhone holder, iPhone X, blue, iPhone holder, iPhone X, plastic, et cetera, et cetera. And there'll probably be a hundred such keywords or whatever it is, maybe hundreds. Mm-hmm. And if you like, every time you rank as uh, Kevin King, the, the great Amazon sales expert, put it to me, by the way, a guru who I think also really, really knows his stuff, Kevin King, it gets my vote. He's a very competent guy. But anyway, okay. he said, for example, if you go for widgets, 
blue widget red widget small widget big then you'll start you know again if you like every time you get a sale on one of those or even a click you'll get about a tenth of the ranking juice for the word widget that you would have had if you just put the word widget in so that's really the, the long tail ranking theory i guess it's similar in the google world right that, that, that you would know more than me but you've got to bear in mind that in the end you are trying to rank for whatever your target keywords are directly and and you're still going to have a cost commensurate with that. So again, don't kid mm-hmm. yourself that you are going to end up ranking for iPhone X anything because that's just not a sensible end goal. And don't kid yourself that you're going to just take a little piece out of the market that is, mm-hmm. is blue iPhone X cases because somebody else will have had that already. You have to think a bit more, more in the middle ground, really, I think. Okay, let me ask you about that before mm-hmm. we move on to the next part of our uh, conversation. Because iPhone is an obvious, you know, unwinnable, but there are many, many, many products on Amazon where it's like, is it winnable? Mm. I don't know. How, how do you coach people who are in that middle of the world kind of quasi popular, some people looking, but it doesn't have huge, you know, cultural relevance like iPhone. How do you tell if it's winnable or not? What? How do you judge? What are the criteria you use to figure this stuff out well so i guess there's two sides to it it's a very very good question it's really great question so i'm glad you asked me that i hadn't really thought about asking that two things first of all i think you've got to look at the upside potential and then you've got to look at the competition so the upside potential the opportunity how valuable would it be if you won you know good market share like you got ranked in position four which is an amazon way of looking at impressions data which is an amazon way of looking at market share same with google Mm -hmm. some digital marketers way of looking at market share but if you zoom out a bit and think like a business person irrespective of medium market share okay so if i can get 10 percent of the the market share for iphone x plastic phone holders a year how much would that be worth not just in revenue uh, which is traditionally how you measure market share, but how much profit would it make you? Okay, that's one side. The other one is affordability and cash flow. Okay, to get mm-hmm. to that position, how yeah. much money is it going to cost us? It, assume, by the way, if the opportunity is poor, then I'm bother. And the second one is, assuming the opportunity is good and worth having, how much would it cost us to get there? So you have to think about, there's lots of parts of the economics when you're a private label product developer. If you're a wholesaler, it's similar, mm-hmm. but a bit simpler, which is to say, how much is the cost of goods sold at the cost of the products, landed cost yeah. or you know whatever it is. That Whatever's left between that and the revenue is what you've got left to do things like advertising or do price reductions, which are mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin. They're going to increase um, conversion rate and get your ranking, right? So you've really got to try and cost out not only how much budget is going to cost you, that's the yeah. next thing. But then the third thing is cash flow. Okay, so it's going to cost mm-hmm. you $40,000 to to rank, you know, and, and you're going to have 40000 flow out of your account. How quickly is it going to happen in three months? Okay, do you have $50,000 in the bank allocated just to product launch, not product cost, but product launch for a single product column? Because it could be that you could, you could rank for something crazy like mm-hmm. Spatula. Literally, I had a client a while ago, or kind of a collaborator, he was ranking for something like vegetable spiralizer. It was a few years ago, but it was still insane. And they literally, after the product patent and production costs and shipping costs, they spent $40,000 for three months to then make, you know, 50,000 profit the next month. And then on from that, it made a huge amount of profit. The opportunity was high, but the cash flow required was so vast that most people wouldn't do that. So opportunity size, budget, cash flow, mm-hmm. it, a lot of it comes down to money. Now, in terms yeah. of how do you make that decision based on what you're looking at? I would say a few rules of thumb. First of all, um, if you take one month's worth of revenue on Amazon, if you um, multiply that by three, that's going to be, if you if you divide it by, say, four, if that's your total landed cost, 
And mm-hmm. you assume you're importing from China in normal times, by the way, in 2021. Right now is not the case because shipping times are all up in the air. But even in normal times, you're going to have to have three months worth of inventory at least. So yeah. you can multiply that number by three. That's the amount you need for your product. And then you need to look at the amount that you need to spend on, on price reductions. You're probably going to need to take it down a substantial, maybe 25% below and at standards of market price. Then you've got to look at the cost per click and, and do some maths on it. And normally speaking, if you're even asking the question, should I go into this market? It looks a bit competitive, but do you see? In, in most cases, the answer is no, don't do it. And that mm-hmm. means that a lot of things that look like opportunities aren't. And that means you've got to look at hundreds of opportunities. And that's frustrating. But that is, I think, the reality for a lot of people, I'm afraid. What's it's not the- a sexy answer, but there aren't that many opportunities always on Amazon. What are the software tools you like to use to do that? I've heard Viral Launch is a tool that you can use for that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, there, there are others? Three, three standard ones that are really good for keyword research. Viral Launch, okay. um, created by Casey Gorse, who's gone off to do other things now. Very good. Jungle Scout, Greg's a very smart guy. I haven't spoken to him for ages, but he knows his stuff. And and Helium 10, which tends to be the mm-hmm. one I use and the one that okay. most my Amazon seller friends use would, okay. would be the main tool. Okay. And now we come to the part of our show where Michael is going to share a th- simple three-step process for improving your Amazon SEO without advertising. Michael, what are the three steps involved? Good. I should have probably put these right up front, but I just (laughs) wanted to give a grown-up sort of more strategic thinker because I think these tactical things are all over the internet. But the three things are measuring, defining the target keyword list, and building those into your listing, really. Well, that sounds too simple. Is it It that easy? Kind of is and it isn't. If you've got the market (laughs) choice wrong, and you don't have an advertising budget, then you you are going to go wrong. So the first thing is measuring. Before you do anything, you need to remember to set up a baseline measurement to see if the things Mm -hmm. you're doing to achieve your outcome are actually doing any good, uh, because they often don't, and you need to know that. So in terms of keyword ranking is really our our objective here. Then measure up front before you start doing anything, keyword ranking using a tool like Helium 10, many things out there that will do it. And then check your metrics weekly. Have a weekly review, preferably with a coach or somebody who knows their staff, a mastermind Mm -hmm. member, somebody who's sold on Amazon and is willing to go out for coffee with you, whatever. But check that, especially when you're launching new products, and make sure you keep an eye on the, the metrics. Above all, how much have you spent? How much keyword ranking have you gained? Because if you're gaining no keyword ranking, you need to change what you're doing. Um, really basic, simple idea, but a lot of people skip that. They just do stuff based on the fact they've heard that it works. And you've always got to have your own data to verify or disprove your theories, no matter how mm-hmm, great mm-hmm, the provenance is, because mm-hmm. everything's different. Each business is different. Each mm-hmm. product obeys differently. Things shift over time very quickly in this space as well. Wow. Michael, we're an hour into this conversation and we're like halfway through our outline. We are. I'm just saying, should we we make a a part two of this whole entire recording so we can have maybe four whole sessions on this topic? Yeah, I think Uh, it's worth it because everyone should be obsessing this. So the practical ways you can improve your SEO without advertising, we we can dive into that next time. So let's by all means do that. Why don't we do that? So why don't we why don't we break it here? You want to summarize for us where we're at so far in the conversation, and then we'll turn this into a legit two parter next week. We'll take on yeah. second part of that the conversation. Absolutely. So first thing is SEO really is about relevance to the consumer query. So just make sure that you bear that in mind front and center. If you're trying to sell a blue widget to people who are searching for a red widget, it sounds really obvious. But I see a lot of that, and that's going to get penalized by unintelligent consumers and therefore by any well-run 
platform, including Amazon, Google, or anybody else. Just think about the fact that even if you're not a private label seller, you may be able to optimize listings if you can. That is the key to driving Amazon SEO, unlike other SEO platforms. So if you're a wholesaler, try your best to get some permission from the brand owner to modify the listing. And um, if you're a retail arbitrage, or at least consider using Amazon ads. We haven't really talked about that. We, we'll talk about that practical thing the next time. But don't just kind of assume that you're kind of helpless in, in the face of the existing listing if you're a wholesaler. If you're a private labeler, you definitely need to make the effort there. It's really critical to get this right because advertising to buy sales just doesn't work economically, will not make you profit. And you need to really think about this tension that each platform is negotiating between the shareholders, consumers, and advertisers, and how they are balancing it out. And you need to align yourself with that. In terms of SEO on Amazon, you need to optimize for conversion first. Um, you need to understand the consumers and articulate how your product solves the problems and preferably how it solves them better than everybody else. And really the pivot point between the listing and SEO is keywords and then clicks and conversions. Yeah, and the other thing I guess we were saying is really keyword uh, strategy needs to be a bit commonsensical. By all means, target long tail keywords, but understand in the end, you probably want a sort of medium tail keyword in mm -hmm. most cases. And the final thing to say is if you've chosen a really hyper competitive market, it, you know, no matter of tactical stuff is going to actually rescue you. So it, it, it comes down to that boring old truth, which is you have to pick the right market and you have to serve them with relevant goods. And if you pick an over-competitive market or you don't yeah. serve them well, you don't win, sadly. I love it. Well, what a conversation, man. This is a deep dive into all things SEO on Amazon. So we're going to pick it up next time and continue the conversation. So if you're following along with us live, feel free to ask questions and we'll pick them up next time. If you are listening to the replay on any of the platforms that we're broadcasting this into, of course, ask questions as well. We'll weave them into part two of the conversation. So Michael, thank you as always. And just one final call to action. If you are loving this podcast, then feel free to leave us a like or subscription or whatever you can do on whatever player of choice you use. But it's just an honor to have people give us that kind of feedback. Heard from somebody yesterday who said they really love the podcast and it's always great to hear that. And so thank you everybody for hanging in there with us and uh, really, really appreciate it. Michael, as always, it's an honor, sir. Have a great uh, evening there in London. Thanks, man. Have a great day over in Seattle, Washington. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.